Well, welcome to City Life again. If I could just echo what Nate said, uh, man, this time tomorrow, we'll be eating food next to a pool in some beautiful weather. So I don't know why you would miss that, but if you're kind of on the fence about it, let me just encourage you in a couple ways. It says in Corinthians that we're baptized into the body of Christ. Come on, and we're that body of believers as the church, and let's be there to be there for those that are being baptized, to cheer them on. And then also, come on, maybe this is your third time. Maybe you've been here six times, but you're still getting used to the faces. Like Nate said, come on, I'd encourage you, come out. We'll be each other. And maybe you're thinking, well, I've been going here for years. I don't need to go. Well, go there to meet those faces. Come on, but let's fellowship. There's free food. Come on, bring a side dish, but we're, we're, sus- we're bringing the meat to the table. So uh, just to this time tomorrow, let's be out there having some fun because it will be fun. And Nate will be wearing a romper. So I don't know if you, that's a, I don't know if that's a plus or a negative for you. If it's a negative, forget I ever said it. But uh, anyways, (laughs) here at City Life Suffolk, we've been in a series now for some time called Rethink Church. And we've been working from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, especially this passage where it says, don't conform, but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind. And I can remember early in my walk when I read that passage in Romans 12, I was like, okay, well, I'm either going to be transforming or conforming as I follow Christ. Either I'm going to be making an effort to be transformed or passively I will be being conformed to the world. And we talked last week about how there is a powerful transformation that happens in your life when your confession goes from, well, I go to church to I am the church. Because when you talk about I go to church, right, I attend church, it's kind of like an organization. You can come and go as you please, but when you start talking about I am the church, right, you become an organism, a life form, a form of the life that Christ wants to give us. And we talked last week about how this this picture of the body as as the body of Christ, it's one of the most recognizable ones from Scripture. And I just think about how our bodies, we, we don't even think about it. And we inhale, and then we exhale, and then we inhale, and then we exhale. I think about that when I think of the body. And it's funny because a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, I, I like to keep my gym bag on my back seat. And I was leaving the office, and I take a book bag with me and my, my laptop bag. So I got a couple bags on me. I throw them on the back seat, and I get fumbling for my keys, and I go to start my car, and I just hear this steady hissing noise. It just, and I'm like, do I have a flat? Exactly. That's when my brain went first. I'm like, do I have a flat? So I get out of the car. I do a circle, and I'm like, okay. It would have been weird to catch a flat when I'm just sitting there anyway. So what's going on? And then I realized it's inside the car, and I'm thinking, did some, like the youth pastor, David, did he prank me and put a snake in my car? Like, what is, what is this hissing noise? And then I catch a smell. And years ago, my mom gave me an Axe body spray can for Christmas. And I'm like, you know, I don't use it because that that stuff is crazy powerful. But, you know, you never know when you're going to leave the gym. You didn't have time to take a shower. You just need to give yourself a spritz. But for about two minutes now, the thing had been going off. It smelled like you're on the inside of a middle school boy's shirt, like after you just doused it in that. Like, I don't know if I would, and I don't know if I was hallucinating or meditating, but when, I, when that happened, my, my mind went to uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15. <laughs> Again, I don't know if it was just breathing in all the acts, right? Or I was actually, you know, being extra spiritual. Probably was just breathing in all that act spray, but it, it talks about how we're the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And then I started driving and thinking about it, and you start to think that, well, this aroma, you're not called to just be uh, in the image of Christ and profess Christ when you're around those being saved, but you're also supposed to do that to those who are being perished out in the world. Uh, And we're called, again, to to be an aroma in both of those places. Now, I don't think at any age I'll be giving Raj 
Axe Body Spray for Christmas because there's other ways to to smell nice. Like middle school boys are still kind of learning it, but you can just shower, right, and use soap, and, and you'll pretty much smell good for a little bit. But uh, I will introduce him to Domino's because I remember as a little kid, not the game of Domino's where, like, but I'm talking dominoes, you set them up, you knock them down, right? You do some cool stuff, make them twist back and forth. You can maybe make one hit two or three because he'll love that. Right now, he probably wouldn't appreciate it because he'd be too busy chewing on them. But at some point, I'm going to introduce him to dominoes because it's just this picture, too, of, of a chain reaction. One domino gets touched, and it, it touches another domino. And it's the same picture for us in the church. When we're touched, when we're touched by grace, when we've been reached, we should then be reaching. When we've been touched by grace, we should then, as a chain reaction, a mark of being touched by that grace is we extend that to those around us, that, that God has placed us among. And we, we've said this quote here before, but, but the writer Curry Blake said, if your gospel isn't touching others, then it hasn't touched you. If your gospel isn't touching others, it's not your personal gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ in you, it's not stirring you to reach out and, and reach to those around you, then, man, it, it's still got some work to do in your heart. Similarly, Charles Spurgeon, you may have heard of him, he said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, we got to look at that because not all of us are called to be missionaries like Toby Cavanaugh in that video who spends his, all his days in China working with college students to, to expand the church. Come on, somebody we support through the church. So maybe that's not you. And we're not going to spend all our days, right, going on missions trips again and again, like the one we're going to in the DR in October, you're going to be spending time at home. So but we do have a mission. We do have a mission. You look at John 17, verse 18, Jesus says, and he's, he's praying and he's talking to God, and he says, the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. And, and who is them? As he's praying, he's praying for the church. He's praying for you and me and those that would come into the faith and be a part of the church. It's, it's the church. The church needs both a ministry and it needs to embrace this mission. You know, we talked last week about gathering and relationship and accountability and all the ministry that gets done in the church. Ministry is the church's gift to the body of believers. It's this pursuit of holiness. But the church also needs to embrace a mission. The mission God gives us, our blessing and our gift to the world, and it's the pursuit of the harvest. Come on, may we always be pursuing holiness for ourselves, but may we always have a focus, too, that looks out to the world and the harvest that's there. The church needs to be big enough for both. There's a, a, a brilliant author, David Platt, and he said, gospel possession requires gospel proclamation. Again, this domino effect where if you've been impacted by the gospel, then there's gonna be a domino effect where you proclaim the gospel. Because our goal as the church is not just to possess the keys of the kingdom, have them in our pocket. Our, our goal as the church is to expand the kingdom. I'm, I'm a, I love football, I miss it. <laughs> and uh, the goal of football isn't just to possess the football. They, they measure time of possession because if you hold the football, that's a good measure of how good you're doing. But the, the end game of football is to move the ball down the field. And eventually, if you move the ball down the field enough, you get to the end zone, you score. And now that they've loosened up on some of the rules, you can actually celebrate these days, dance around, uh, celebrate with your teammates. You know, there are a few highs in your walk with Christ that equal Man, somebody you're in relationship with, coming into relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time. There's, I don't know if there's anything in my life that's ever as powerful as seeing somebody I know who I'm in relationship with come into relationship with God for the first time. The, once you do it once, it's contagious. Like, man, I, 
I want to see somebody else. I want to do it again. I want to reach someone else. And that's why Paul says in Romans 11, as he was out planting churches and reaching the lost, he says in Romans 11, verses 13 through 15, he says, because my personal assignment is focused on the so-called outsiders, I make as much of this as I can while I'm among the so-called insiders, hoping that they'll realize what they're missing and want to get in on what God is doing. Come on, I want to rethink reaching tonight, which you can simply define as evangelism. And the first way we need to rethink reaching is is that, man, when you tap out of reaching, when you tap out of evangelism and sharing your faith, you're going to miss out. Like Peter says, I hope they realize what they're missing out on and want to get in on this because it's so good. You know, reaching and evangelism, it's not some burden that was added to our faith. It's a blessing. But so often our response to, you know, this call to reach and the Great Commission is like, well, I'm, I'm introverted. It's, it's, it's a stretch for me. I'm not comfortable doing it. And, and I think it's kind of in vogue to be introverted now. Like extroverted is mainstream and we've probably turned ourselves into introverts by spending so much time on our phones and Netflix binging. But that's a rabbit trail. But we sometimes view evangelism and reaching as, this is, as if it's like unappealing extra credit. It's an add-on that we'd rather avoid. But again, Paul's saying if you don't reach out, then you'll miss out. There's life to be found. There's an excitement to be found when you share your faith. I want to look tonight, and and you can turn there because we're going to park it there. It's Luke chapter 5. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11. And we see in this passage that Jesus calls Peter. And at the end of this passage, at the end of Luke chapter 11, it doesn't say uh, uh, Jesus says, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And then he grabbed Peter by his beard and dragged him kicking and screaming into this lifestyle of evangelism. No, it it says, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And they left everything and followed Jesus to do just that. You know, people desire purpose. We all are looking for a purpose in life. And we want to know that we're living for something before we die. And, And what greater purpose is there, especially when you're walking in relationship with Jesus, than to introduce somebody to him, the way, the truth, and the life. But we see in in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus calls Peter. And we got to be mindful, it's the first time in Luke that we see this interaction, but according to theologians, you look at the outline of the Gospels, this is probably the third time that Jesus has called Peter. The first time happens in John chapter 1, the second time in Matthew 4, and up to this point, Peter had just kind of been a spectator. He no doubt enjoyed Jesus' teachings. He no doubt enjoyed seeing him minister. But to this point, he was, he was a spectator. But Jesus shows that a true disciple expresses this discipleship through loving and reaching people. So how do we love people? How do we love our neighbor? And I would say it's got a lot to do with this image of fishing that we see in Luke chapter 5. Again, I want to read starting in verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. 
I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Come on, first to note as I'm reading that, it says Simon, but then it also says Simon Peter. That's the, I'm going to be calling him Peter all night, so don't be confused, right? Where it says Simon, that's speaking of the disciple that Jesus would then call Peter. And in Luke 5, though, it says that Jesus sets up shop in Galilee. Now, Galilee means, by very definition, the house of fishing. This is like a, a Bass Pro Shop wonderland. Like, it's the house of fishing. And I'm sure there were boats everywhere just like there were at Bass Pro Shop. But Jesus notices two empty boats because the fishermen had left them. Now, what they were doing was washing their nets. And this was admirable work. Because if your nets got dirty and dingy, then as we see in this very account, if it's too dirty and not clean, it'll break when you try to pull in a big catch. So they would clean their nets. They would make sure that they were uh, up to par before they would go out and fish. And they had been fishing all night. But Jesus tells them to get up, get in the boat, and eventually drop those nets at a time that made zero sense for a fisherman fish. In the middle of the day, they just spent all night. No doubt they were tired. They were in the middle of washing those nets. And Jesus says, hey, cast them. Cast those nets. There's a catch for you. And when you begin to think about this and our reaching and our evangelism and how he calls Peter to be a, a fisher of men, we realize that as Jesus would go on to say in Luke chapter 10, his concern isn't about the harvest or the number of fish. He's concerned about the workers. He says, don't pray about the harvest. Pray that there will be people that were labor." in the harvest and, and do the job of reaching. That won't get so caught up in personal holiness and washing their nets, which is a good thing, that they'll never cast those nets themselves. They'll never reach out with those nets in the great commission he's given us. See, we've got to be committed to both holiness and the harvest. We've got to be committed both to the ministry in the church and the mission of the church when we walk out of those doors at the end of a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, if that's your thing we got to be, realize we're called to both be set apart and sent. And one of my favorite verses that addresses this, it's, it's in Luke 17. It's, we started with one of the verses, but it's Luke 17, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. Because, again, this is Jesus' prayer to God about the church and me and you, those people that would become a part of the church. And he prays in John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I also have commissioned and sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself to do your will so that they also may be sanctified, set apart, dedicated, made holy in your truth. We see in this passage, he talks about how we're both called to be set apart and we're called to be sent. We're set apart for a reason, for, for God's purposes. And what's his purpose for us? It's clearly evident in these verses that our purpose is to be commissioned and sent out into the world. Because when the Bible, I think sometimes we can get it twisted, where, where we think when the Bible says we're set apart, that somehow we're separate, that we pull out of the mission field, we pull out of, uh, of contact with those who don't think like we think or believe like we believe, and we think, well, set apart is me over here just washing my nets, and, and that's what I'm going to stick to doing. But, but being set apart and separate in the Bible. It's not about geography. It's, it, it's about your heart. Difference doesn't demand that we have to be distant or, or, or away from the harvest or away from the fish. Man, being holy doesn't mean you have to step away from the harvest. 
You can be both set apart and live separate spiritually and be totally social, right, and have all kinds of relationships. Because being set apart, it's not about your location. Being set apart is about your heart's condition. Being set apart is not about your physical location on a map. It's about where's your heart at spiritually. And we can't pick up our call to holiness at the cost of the harvest. And nor should we because without contact, there won't be any impact. And we as a church, we're called to have an impact here Come on, every campus, every church you know is called to have an impact where God has placed them. And Peter, he was willing in the moment to be obedient, literally, and cast down his net. And then after this, we see he was obedient to lay down those nets and leave everything to follow Jesus. So we ask ourselves, you read that, you see Peter and these guys, they, they leave behind their vocation, everything they had known to follow Christ. And you, you ask, well, are all of us supposed to do that? Are we all supposed to be Toby Cavanaugh's and just leave everything we know in our jobs and Go to the other side of the world to spread the gospel. And come on, as I already said, you read the Bible in, in its whole context, you realize, no. Paul, even as he was planting churches, he still built tents. And you might ask again, well, are you called to, to leave and go to another place? And you see with the uh, demon-possessed man who was possessed with all those demons who called themselves legion, he says, Jesus, let me follow you. Let me go. And he says, no, 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 stay where you are. Minister to your world. Minister to the place I've put you. And that's the second way we need to rethink reaching, is that our call to reach, it often begins with places within our reach. You know, if everybody in the church just reached their circle of influence, their, their circle of, of peoples that their, God has called them to reach, man, we would see such progress in the church. You know, for the first time in history, first time in history, in this century, more than half the world lives in cities, lives in an urban context. Cities have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. And you know in America, in our cities, the, the nuns, the people who would say they have no religious affiliation, that, that number is growing. So nothing has changed. People need Jesus, but more and more it's those people right next door. It's these people you're walking past in the grocery store, the people that you might work with where, man, we're called to reach people that are already within our reach. And again, Peter lays down his nets to follow Christ. And he goes on this adventure as Jesus' disciple, and we see it, the, the climax at the end of each gospel where, man, Jesus is arrested. Peter denies him three times. Come on, completely broken by that. It says he goes and weeps, and then Jesus is, is crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. And if you, if you read through the gospel of John, in John chapter 21, we find the disciples back in Galilee, back in the house of fishing, Peter had led them back to the boats, and he says, hey, let's go fishing, right? And I've seen many people paint this as, as Peter backsliding. Like, this is Peter going back to the life he had before Jesus, or this is, this is uh, somehow negative for Peter. But if you read through the Gospels, Jesus says in Matthew 26, he says in Mark 16, hey, I'm going to go ahead of you. I love that image because he's a shepherd and he guides us. I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. And it's almost like a, a leader saying, hey, meet me back at base. <laughs> You're going to get more orders there. But also for Peter, it's profound because this is where Jesus first impacted him at the Sea of Galilee, where he realized, man, I'm a sinner, where he, he, he cried out, I'm too much a sinner to be around you. And again, he was broken because he had denied Christ three times. No doubt he hadn't forgot that. No doubt the enemy reminded him of that and accused him of that again and again and again. But he was trusting that by God's grace, come on, that he would be able to meet Jesus again and be called by Jesus again. And so often I think 
when it comes to reaching, when it comes to evangelism, we say, well, if I was further along in my faith, I'd be more focused on reaching people. If I just knew a little more, was a little more well-versed, memorized a few more scriptures, then I would get busy uh, of reaching people and doing the work of evangelism, but I feel like I need to grow some more before I do that. And we, we paint that as a humble stance when really it's selfish. It's a cop-out because God calls us from day one to the work of reaching. It's the third thing we have to rethink about reaching because so often we think when in terms of holiness and the harvest, we think, well, we got to get holy first and then we'll reach the harvest. I got to work myself up to a point where I've got this book or these verses memorized, and then I'll get to reaching people. But I love that, again, Jesus, he meets with Peter at the Sea of Galilee, and it says it's in the morning. And you know, when, when Peter denied Christ three times, uh, a rooster crowed, and that was prophetic. Jesus called it. He called a shot, and it happened. And again, Jesus meets him in John 21 at the Sea of Galilee in the morning, well, come on, if there were any roosters nearby, they would have been crowing. And no doubt every morning when Peter heard roosters crowing, the enemy would remind him, hey, you failed. You're disqualified. This guilt and shame you carry, man, you should feel it because you denied your Savior. You denied your master three times, three times. But I love that it's in this setting where the enemy would no doubt remind him of his failing. Every time he would hear a rooster crow, that Jesus reminded him of his calling. And you may well be sitting here very mindful of, of your shortcomings, very mindful of your failings, but Jesus would come to you today and remind you it doesn't matter. You're still called. You're still commissioned. And where you're weak, guess what? He's strong. He doesn't call the equipped. What is it? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It's the, the phrase you hear so often in church. Jesus comes in the midst of I'm not good enough to call you again. He comes in, Peter's, in the midst of Peter's brokenness to say, hey, guess what? My grace is sufficient. I'm strong where you're weak. You're still called. So don't count yourself out. We see in this that, man, grace, it removes the weight of sin, but grace doesn't remove the weight of our mission and our ministry. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture where it says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has come. And I used to always think, you know, that's a beautiful picture. You, you hug it out at an altar, you build yourself a prayer closet, and you find yourself a church and a small group, and hey, you're a new creation. But that's not the end of it. Like my heading in my Bible in the New Living Translations, the heading for that whole passage is, we are God's ambassadors. In the NIV, it's the ministry of reconciliation. You begin to realize that God makes you a new person because he gives you a new purpose. He gives you purpose. In verses 18 through 20, if you keep reading, it says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We see that we're made new people, but the purpose of a new person is reconciliation. The character of this new creation is this heart for reconciliation, this heart for evangelism. So often we think, well, I'll grow more and then I'll get to reaching out. But this reaching in this passage is supposed to be one of the initial confirmations that you're a new creation is that you pick up this ministry of reconciliation. It's not, well, I'll grow and then I'll get to it. Man, you get to reaching and you'll grow. 
because it stretches you and because you have to lean fully on God. You look at Peter's life. You look at the, you read the Gospels and then you read Acts and you're just like, man, what switch got flipped, <laughs> right? Because in the Gospels, he keep, keeps putting his foot in his mouth. He denies Christ, and then Jesus restores him. And then you see in Acts, man, he's just the tip of the spear for the church, just as thousands of people are being added, and all of a sudden he's this powerful leader. And the growth we see, I'm sure, you know, he grows throughout the Gospels. But it's not this switch that's flipped at one of Jesus' teachings or one of his miracles. We see this huge step forward happen in the book of Acts, early in Acts at Pentecost, where Peter steps up and he speaks to thousands of people. And and he steps up and he steps out and, and spiritually he lets out his net. He steps out of his comfort zone. He speaks out. He reaches out and he walks in his calling as a fisher of men. And he speaks, and again, thousands are saved. And we see Peter, and we see the church begin to step into their mission to reach the lost and to, to be fishers of men. And it's only because of these disciples and their obedience and their faithfulness that we're here today, right? Because they were faithful to do the, the mission God had given them. The church exists, and it's been spread all the way here. So the question I ask myself is, who will be here tomorrow because of me? Not because I get them saved, the Holy Spirit does that work, but who am I reaching? Who, who, who has God put in my circle of influence that he's called me to build relationship with so that the Holy Spirit can, can impact their lives, right? Who's going to be here tomorrow, next year, years from now, because God used me to reach them? Because the enemy's not afraid of, of you going to church. The enemy's afraid of you realizing You are the church, that the church isn't just a destination to attend. It's a vehicle where we're sent out to reach people and reach the lost and and build the kingdom. Again, not just hold the keys, but to advance the kingdom of God. Come on, he doesn't want us to realize we're both called and we're commissioned, that we're called to holiness and a harvest. We're called to be set apart, but we're also called to be sent. Again, we can't settle into this perspective we're set apart, and every time we read it in Scripture, it's this picture of us just sitting back and washing our nets, and just tending to our personal holiness. There's got to be contact so that there can be impact. There's already enough division in our culture. Come on, we're called to step across those lines in the sand and where there's black and white or red and blue to bring unity under the blood of Christ, again, into the body of Christ. But without contact, without going out into the world, going out in your boats to let down your net, there's going to be no catch. Again, if your life is one of these dominoes and God has impacted you and you've received the gospel, man, where's the chain reaction? Who are you impacting? Jesus made Galilee this house of fishing, his home base, and he tells his disciples that he's going to make them fishers of men. And he could have chosen a million different pictures in that moment, but he he chose fishing. One, because it spoke to them. It spoke to what they did, but I know culturally our idea of fishing is just with a line, right? I fish outside my parents' backyard, but back then it was nets, and it was a whole lifestyle, And, and there's three ways that their lifestyle of fishing should speak to our lifestyle of evangelism, just as we wind up tonight that I just want to share with you, because as we continue to rethink reaching, we got to think along these lines. And again, there's three ways that it speaks to our job, our, our calling, and our honor as evangelists. And the first is this. There's, there's preparation. There's preparation. They were preparing their nets. They were cleaning their nets because, again, if they didn't prepare, then there were, 
when Jesus calls them to this miraculous catch. No doubt the, the nets were already breaking. No, they, no doubt they would have busted if they didn't clean their nets. And there's a great quote by a, a man named Kevin Burgess. He goes by KB because he's a, he's a rapper. But he says, whatever call a man may have, if he's not called the holiness, he won't be called the harvest. Again, there's a balance. Our faith needs to be big enough for both. And the goal here is not perfection, but it is the power that comes from a life of character, a life of integrity, a life of when you're reaching out, it's an overflow of what you're already walking. Because if our goal was to be perfect or good enough before we got to the work of reaching out and evangelism, we would never do it because we never will be. We never will be. But again, without being cleansed, the nets wouldn't have been strong enough to haul in that catch. And in the same way, we're called to prepare our hearts for the work of evangelism. May our lives be strong in the Lord because, man, when we are alone and when we are uh, uh, away from people physically because we're preparing our hearts, we're in the Word, we're praying, and we're preparing our lives for the work God has for us. But the second way we see a parallel between their fishing and, and our reaching is just that, the work, the labor that they had, the toil they went through. And I think the, the way we need to rethink reaching and evangelism with this is so often we think the, the work we're called to in reaching folks is to, to share what we have and to tell them and to, to, to hit them with the word of God. But man, we also have to think a lot of the reaching we're called to do, it also involves listening. Come on, it involves communication and communication is a two-way street. <laughs> we talk and we listen and we ask questions and then we listen. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find Jesus in the Gospels, reaching different people the same way twice. You know, I think so often we've turned uh, evangelism into a one-trick pony or a sales pitch where we try to get people to agree with something, then we move on to the next person. We check off a box. But this drive-by approach to communication, this drive-by approach to evangelism, it, it might seem fitting in our increasingly 140-character-length tweets and ADD-driven world, but relationship, context, and connection are as vital as ever to meaningful communication. There, there's Tim Keller. He's a brilliant pastor, brilliant author. The guy writes a book like every month. I love his books. I can't keep up because he just puts them out so fast, and he's just an apologist. And he was once asked, as he was stepping away from his role as pastor, just there was a question and answer, and somebody asked him how the church could have a stronger witness and a stronger reach among unbelievers. And his answer was this, we could do a far better job of patiently listening. And we should not talk until we can represent the skeptic's viewpoint with empathy so that they say, yeah, that, that's my hang-up. I couldn't have put it better myself. And only then should we try to recommend the Christian faith to them. Now, that's a strong stance. But again, we're all about the hit-and-run, tweet-length conversations because it's easy. Listening is work. What's it's, it's hard work. It's costly. But, man, so is love. Love is, is costly. So ask questions. Listen. Seek to empathize. And, and then share your life. And you do that, and the door might open to share the gospel. I've, I've been reading this book. Obviously, we adopted from India. So Ravi Zacharias was always, like, already one of my top tier, like, guys to read, podcast, just a brilliant mind. And then, of course, we adopt from India. He's like number one now in my book. So I'm reading his memoir where he just, he's recounting his childhood, uh, just his experiences with India. And he talks about how he's going back to his childhood home. And he's met the family that lives there. And they're a Hindu family. And they profess that faith. And he's met them 
They've fallen in love with his wife. She's a Caucasian Canadian woman, so that's cool to the kids. And he's gone there with gifts. And there's been times where the, the father doesn't want to accept it. So he's like, all right, go buy yourselves a bike so you can ride a bike to school. And he's got this cool relationship with, with the family there. And he talks about it for pages. And then finally in this account, in his memoir, it says, their mother's eyes reveal the inner quest for piety. And my heart longs to tell her that God does not live in empty temples made with human hands. I trust that the time we spend together during my trips there will present the right moment. And I pause when I read that because if there's anybody that could share the gospel at the drop of a dime and convincingly tell anybody, especially in India, about the hope of Jesus Christ, man, it'd be Ravi Zacharias. He could do that. But yet you read this and he says, well, in the time we spend together, that investment he's making, he trusts that Jesus one day will open the door where he can share the hope that he has. There's this wisdom that Ravi has that I respect tremendously that I would expect him to just drop on them. But there's also a wisdom to recognizing that sometimes the labor of relationship, the labor of asking questions and listening and genuinely caring, that builds a bridge that the Holy Spirit can walk over. And again, we just got to rethink because I think sometimes evangelism reaching, you're like, all right, who can I like just walk up to and, and spend five minutes with and, and get saved right there, but sometimes it's, man, can we meet for coffee? Can I ask you about your life, what you've experienced, and then begin to see where they're coming from, see their worldview, and again, Tim Keller's like, you should be able to understand it so much that you can tell it back to them, and they'd be like, that's exact. I couldn't have said it better myself, but there's a connection. There's a, 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 an investment that we make when we listen that, that really, it's love, <laughs> Listening is costly, but again, so is love. And that's so often the initial labor that God calls us to reaching those around us. Are there conversations where, man, I know I'm not going to see this person anymore on a plane. We're going different places where, man, you might be called in that instance to share your testimony, what God's done in your life, the good news, sure. But, man, there's so often that person at Food Lion that I see every day because I walk over there to get groceries where, man, just build relationship. And I trust that God's going to open those doors to Invite them out to church. Open those doors to share what Jesus did in my life. Open those doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's about the labor sometimes of listening. And then lastly, the, the third way we see parallels between their work of fishing and our work of reaching is simply perseverance. Man, multiple times in the gospels we see that they were out all night fishing and they didn't catch a darn thing, right? But they didn't quit. And in the same way, your net might come up empty. You share the gospel. You share what God's done in your life, and the person doesn't just say, oh, okay, I want what you have, and, and come on, say, how can I follow this Jesus you follow? But I've said it before, man. We don't fail when we share the hope that we have, and we step up to that plate, and we don't see fruit in the moment. We fail when, man, we've been called to step up, but we, we don't. We fail when we've been called to share, and we don't. We, we hold back. And we got to remember, ultimately, the weight isn't on us. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws men to Christ. Come on, God does the heavy lifting. We just set the table. We roll out the carpet. <laughs> you can't make anyone fall in love with Jesus or the, or the church or God, but you can roll out the carpet. You can, you can set up the dates, right? So don't, I think sometimes we set out to change people's hearts. But that's God's work. Set out to love them. And you know, sometimes we do that most effectively 
I'm simply building that bridge and seeking to understand them. Jesus asked a lot of questions in the Gospels. And psychologists have shown that people feel loved in a conversation when they're asked questions. You're investing in them. It shows love. Jesus loved. Jesus asked. And Jesus listened. And he built so many bridges where you see the Holy Spirit impacting lives left and right. And then you see Peter walking in this as a, as a fisher of men in Acts. And people being added to the church daily. And the church walking both in its ministry to the body of the believers, but also its, its mission to reach the harvest field. And just they're so effective. If I could have the, the worship team come up. I've shared this image before, but it's, it's a powerful one from the Gospels. Because the Sea of Galilee it was a was a place of fishing because there were a lot of fish there. There's life in those waters. And what's powerful is the Dead Sea is a neighbor separated by land, but it's close to the Sea of Galilee. We've got the Sea of Galilee teeming with life, and then the Dead Sea where things can't even live because the, the saltiness is so thick that marine life can't live in it. It's ten times salter, saltier than the ocean. Again, you probably know people float on it with ease. Hence the name, the Dead Sea. There's no life in it. And again, the Sea of Galilee is close to the Dead Sea. It's just north of it. So why is one dead and why is one teeming with life? And the one difference between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee is that both are fed by the Jordan River, but the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. Water flows in and water flows out. Same region, same climate, same Jordan River feeding it. But with the Dead Sea, there's no outlet. The water just comes in and it sits. Nothing flows out. There's, there's almost, it's too full of minerals and it's unfit for life. But it's like the Sea of Galilee. It's almost like it inhales the water and then it exhales, right? The, the body of Christ inhaling and exhaling. And may we, the body of Christ, do the same. You know, Jesus says in John 7, 37 through 38, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living, living water will flow from his heart. Come on, may the Holy Spirit both fill us and equip us to be witnesses to the good news, to do this job of reaching. And the, the question is, man, will the gospel stop with our heart or will it continue through us? Will there be that chain reaction, that domino effect where God reaches us and then we reach out with the same grace we've received? Will it go outside of these four walls and those doors we walk out of tonight or will it, it stop here? Because I don't want to die with the good news trapped inside of me, like the minerals in the Dead Sea, like the candle Jesus talks about that's hidden. I want to know that God reached me and then he used me, not just to, to be in his kingdom, but to advance his kingdom. Come on, we're going to go into worship, but God, as we gather here tonight, we ask that you would fill us again. God, pour your spirit out on us. Fill us. Prepare us, God, for the, the labor and the perseverance of reaching. But God, prepare us tonight. So much of what we see happens in the book of Acts, not because they worked so hard to better themselves, but because your Holy Spirit came and they empowered them. The Holy Spirit empowered them to be bold witnesses, God. So we ask, God, as we worshiped earlier, we, we're going to step into worship again. Meet us here. It says in the book of James, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. God, I pray that 
And we would, if we need to feel your presence tonight, because we feel like Peter, that second time at the Sea of Galilee, we feel like we've been disqualified, not good enough, not there yet. God, that you would remind us that you call us and commission us where we're at. God, and we don't have to wait because you go with us. <laughs> we don't have to wait for you to meet us because, man, your presence goes with us. Your Holy Spirit fills us. But God, also remind us we're not just called to the work of, of ministry and striving for holiness here tonight, but we're called to the mission you've called us to, to the harvest that we're surrounded by in Suffolk and Carrollton and Smithfield and Portsmouth and Chesapeake and Norfolk, Lord God. God, even as we talked about before communion, shift our focus. God, we want, tonight we want to look up to you. God, you're, you're our help. You're our source of hope. And God, we want to look around. We want to get rooted in this family of faith. But God, remind us to look out. God, to look out at your harvest. God, you prayed for laborers. God, we do the same tonight, and we ask, we say, here we are. Send me. And God, again, I just, remind, I just ask that you would remind us of our call, remind us of our commission. God, so often the enemy tries, he's the accuser of the brethren. He reminds us of those ways we've fallen short, the ways, how could God use you? You're not good enough, Lord. God, I pray that tonight as we close with it is well, we be able to walk out those doors saying it is well. Because God's grace, it not only covered my sin, it, it, it removed the weight of sin, but it didn't remove the, the purpose, that, that gift that you've given us, Lord God. Come on, if we could stand tonight, we're going to go into it as well. And God, I just pray that that would be our confession over our lives. Again, for no other reason than because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We don't do this work of reaching and evangelism to hopefully get in right standing with you. We do it because we've been put in right standing with you. And there's so much joy. David talks about the joy of his salvation. God, I just pray we wouldn't be able to hold it in. It would be like those dominoes, Lord God. But remind us tonight that it is well. God, that your cross covers, your grace covers. God, your mercy, your goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. And for that, we praise you. For that, we worship you tonight.